All right, Jabose, good morning. Let us begin, Bar Hashem. A full, full morning this morning. So we begin by thanking our sponsor, Atamotor, sponsors for the month of Tebes. Yoel and Sarah Kelman for dedicating all the Shi'urim and Drashos this month in honor of the birth of their daughter, Oria Tahel, and in the hope that the Merit Hashem, all those davening for children, will have their tfilos answered. Bikarov. We thank Stephen Tarizin for dedicating all the Shi'urim and Drashos this month in honor of their grandchildren, Adin, Tzvi, and Naftali Moshe, and Shirley Elbaum and family for dedicating the Shi'urim this month in memory of Jerry Elbaum, Yaakov Kalpan, Ben Reb Avram, Menachem. We hope that the merit of our Tamatura, Aliyah, and the family in Nechama. We also thank our Dafiomi sponsors for today, Gedalia and Dana Rosenblum, in commemoration of the Yarzite of Dana's father, Moshe Chaim ben Avram, Sichron Livracha, and we hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Neshama will have an Aliyah and the family a Nechama. And with that, let us begin a beautiful, beautiful, packed day ahead of us. Today's daf is daf Yud. We are picking up from the Mishnah on Tess Ahmed Bey's 9b, the first Mishnah on the page, In Bein Koin Mashuach. So the Mishnah says as follows, In Bein Koin, in bein koin Mashuach B'Shem Mishcha, the Meruba Begodim. So we'll say, remember again, the Mishnah tells us, there are two ways in which a coin can become a coin Gadol. Either he can be anointed with anointing oil, that is called Shem Mishcha, or he could be, he could don the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. Putting the clothing on of the Kohen Gadol in and of itself anoints him or inaugurates him into that position. So the Mishnah says there's really no difference if the Kohen Gadol becomes the Kohen Gadol through anointing oil or through wearing the begadim of the Kohen Gadol, except the following. Allah, Parhaba Kalamisos. We'll say Parhaba Kalamisos is the unique carbon that is offered by the Kohen Gadol in the event that he allows, he permits a particular iser that would normally carry a prohibition of kari. So let's say the coin gadol issues an erroneous ruling and he allows something that is only forbidden. The co- extreme case, the coin gadol paskins that you're allowed to eat on Yom Kippur. Okay, so eating on Yom Kippur carries with it a chiv karis. The coin gadol accidentally delivered a wrongful ruling. There is this thing called, not this thing, there's an offering called Par Haba The Mishnah says only a Kohen who is anointed with oil brings this carbon, but one who is Meruba Begadim does not. Similarly, again, there is no difference in active, an active Kohen Gadol and a former Kohen Gadol. Remember again, there is what's called a Skan. The Skan is the assistant backup coin Gadol. So the Mishnah says, there is no, so here's what's interesting. So you have a coin Gadol, now he has a disqualification that precludes him from serving. You have the replacement. Then the former coin Gadol once again becomes fit for service. He comes back to his job. The Skan, the fill-in coin Gadol, is called the coin Gadol Lisha Avar, the past coin Gadol. There is, so there is no difference between the two of them, except the power of Yom Kippur, which can only be offered by one Kohen Gadol, which is the active Kohen Gadol, and Asira Sa'ifa, or what we've learned this before, is called the Minchas Chavitin, the unique Mincha offering that is offered each and every day by the Kohen Gadol, that once again can only be offered by the serving Kohen Gadol. Beautiful, says the Mishnah. Hal inyan par Yom Kippur and Asira Sa'ifa, Focusing a bit on the first part of the Mishnah, in, 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 when contrasting the coin Mashuach B'Shem Mishcha to the coin Meruba Begadim, both have the ability to offer up the Pari Yomikipurim and the Asira Sa'ifa, to which the Gemara says, Mas Nisin Rab Meir. Our Mishnah clearly does not reflect the view of Rab Meir. How so? Di Rab Meir, Hatanya, Meruba Begadim, maybe Paraba, Kalamisari Meir. So Rab Meir holds that Allah Kalamaisa. Only, it's not only, but Meruba Begadim also brings a par haba akola mitzvah. That stands in contradistinction to our Mishnah. The Chum, the Chum say, Eino maybe. The Chum say, no, only a coin Gadol, anointed with Shem Mishcha, brings a par haba akola mitzvah. My time, which, which is our Mishnah. My time is Rameer. What's Rameer's logic? The Sanyo, Mashiach, the Pasek, when speaking about the Parhaba Kala Mitzvos, the unique offering that is brought if the Kohen Gadol gives an erroneous ruling that permits something normally punishable by Kharis. So the Torah, when referring to the Kohen Gadol in his Kobilk, he says Mashiach, the anointed Kohen Gadol. Amy Ella Mashuach, Mashuach, Mishra, Mishra. 
Anointing means anointed with oil. Meruba begadim minayin. How do I know that even a kohen gadol who is meruba begadim also brings parhaba kolamitzos? Tamud lomar hamashiach. Ultimately, the Torah uses the actual notion of hamashiach, the anointed one, the extra hay comes to include meruba begadim as well. So the Gemara says b'mayokimna. So now, how how we establish the first part of the Mishnah? Dilok Reb Meir, right? You both say so. The first part of the Mishnah, which says that only a Kohen who is Mashuach B'Shemen HaMishcha, not Meruba Begadim, brings the par haba akol hamitzos that is reflective of the view of the Chachamim and not like Rabbi Meir. So therefore, we've established the first part of the Mishnah does not pass like Rabbi Meir. Se'ima Seifa, ain't bein Kohen M'Shamesh, the Kohen Sha'avar. Yet, look at the last part of the Mishnah. And what does the last part of the Mishnah say? There is no distinction between an active serving Kohen Gadol and a former Kohen Gadol. I was about to say, remember again, how do you become a foreign, former Kohen Gadol? It's very simple. You were the scan, right? You were the assistant, disqualification in the Kohen Gadol. You jumped in. Now Kohen Gadol is fit to come back for service. You phase out. That's called the Kohen Sha'avar. So what does the end of the Mishnah say? Amen, Kohen Mishnah, the Kohen Sha'avar, Elo, Pariyom Kippurim, Right, so again, the only distinction is the power of Yom Kippur, which you can only bring one of, and therefore it is brought, it is brought by the active serving Kohen Gadol, and what we call the Minchas Chavitin, the daily offering of the Kohen Gadol, the meal offering. Ha, l'chol divrehen, but for everything else, including par haba akol hamitzvos, ze vze shavin. They are the same. Whose opinion does that reflect? Asa'an al-Rabbi Meir. Both say that reflects the view of Rabbi Meir. The Sanya, because Rabbi Meir, because we'll see Brisa says, if there was some type of psul in the Kohen Gadol. And I both say psul can mean a variety of different things. The simplest case of psul is, Kohen Gadol becomes Tomei. He becomes Tomei. Therefore, he cannot serve in the capacity as a Kohen Gadol. We appoint the scan in his stead. Umino Kohen Akhratachtov. Rishon when the Tumah clears up, ultimately the first Kohen Gadol returns to his job. Sheni Komitzvos Kohuna Gidola Alab Divrevi Meir. So we'll see, here's a, just a general interesting idea. What's the status of that former Kohen Gadol? Right? What's, like, what's, what's his status? So Rabbi Meir essentially says that Halacha Lamaisa, he too is treated like the Kohen Gadol in every single regard. Right, that former Kohen Gadol still retains an identity as a Kohen Gadol. Kol mitzvos kehuna gedola alav diver Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi says no, that's not the halacha. Rishon chozer la'avodaso. So ultimately, again, the first Kohen, first Kohen Gadol returns to his service. Sheni eno roi lola Kohen Gadol lola Kohen hedjot. But this is fascinating. The former Kohen Gadol, he's stuck. He's stuck. He cannot remain the Kohen Gadol, but he also can't go back to being a regular Kohen. Why not? Listen to this. So the Messiah, I'm Rabbi Yossi, Maisab Rabbi Yossi, Ben Ulam Bitsipori. Rabbi Yossi tells a story. There was one time it happened. Rabbi Yossi, Ben Ulam from Tsipori, She'ira Bo Psuba Kohen Gadol, Uminu Tachtov. Rabbi Yossi, this story once happened, I'm sure it happened more than once. Right? Rabbi Yossi, Ben Ulam, Ben Ulam, Rabbi Yossi, who was a Kohen. He was a Kohen. On, so there was a Kohen Gadol on top of him. The Kohen Gadol ultimately experienced some type of so some type of disqualification. And therefore, Rabbi Yosef ben Ulam was called upon to fill the position of the Kohuna Gidola temporarily. What happened? So I will say, then, This episode before the Chum, Then it turned out the Kohen Gadol, the former Kohen, the real Kohen Gadol, was fit to return to service. So the Chacham say, okay, Kohen Gadol, you come back for service. Sheni, but again, Rav Yosef ben Ulam was the replacement Kohen Gadol. Eino ro'ay lo the Kohen Gadol, velo the Kohen Hedyot. Listen to this. He cannot continue to serve as the Kohen Gadol, but he also cannot return to life as a regular Kohen. Kohen Gadol mishum eva. This is an interesting idea. We don't have, we don't have him serve as a Kohen Gadol because of animosity. In other words, Two kings can't share one crown. Right? There's one leader. There's one Kohen Gadol. Right? There's one Kohen Gadol. So we can't have two Kohanim Gadol that's going to cause animosity. And not only that, Kohen Hedyot Mishum Dema'alin Bakodesh Velomoridin. 
Interesting. And you can't have him go back to serve as a coin head, as a regular coin. Why? Because you will say mm-hmm. after you've served as the coin Godel, you cannot go back to being a regular coin. So I will say, say isn't, isn't this absolutely incredible? So it turns out, it turns out that the scan, the scan, now again, what can he do? So I will say, think about this for a moment. What can he do? What can he do? He could remain in that position as scan. In other words, he could remain in that position ultimately until what? Until there's another disqualification on the coin goggle and he could jump back in. He could jump back in. But interestingly enough, the, at, at least the Gemara is saying over here that Halakha Rabbi Yossi says that Halakha Lamaisei cannot go back to, to his job as a regular Kohen after having served in the capacity as a Kohen Godel. So we'll say, so it turns out effectively, so we'll say, it sounds like over here that the first part of the Mishnah reflects the view of the Rabbanon, right? Remember, the first part of the Mishnah was that there is no distinction between a Kohen who is anointed with oil versus one who dons the Kohen Gadol vestments. They're both the Kohen Gadol with the exception of Par Habba Akol Hamitzos, that unique offering if the Kohen Gadol offers an, an erroneous ruling. Only a Kohen anointed with oil offers that offering, but not one Rebbe Gadol. So I'll say that reflects the view of the Rabbanon. The seifa, the seifa, which seems to indicate that halacha lamaisa, the kohen sha'avar, right, kind of re- remains almost as a quasi kohen gadol. That seems to reflect the view of Rabbi Meir. So it says the Gemara, what's going on over here? What's going on over here? So remember again, in general, we don't like to have a mishnah reflective of two opinions. We like to have a Mishnah that ultimately is, is textually harmonious, right? And goes ahead and has one opinion throughout. To which the Gemara says, Yeah, it's, it's possible. The, part, the right two parts of the Mishnah reflect two different opinions. Rabbi Yosef Amar, Rabbi Hi, Vinasib Lealiba de Tanai. So ultimately, Rabbi Yosef says, No, the Mishnah reflects the view of Rabbi, Rabbi Huda Nasi. And sometimes when codifying Mishnahis, Rabbi Huda Hanasi himself picked and choose, chose different opinions and blended them together into one text of a Mishnah. Now we'll say, Halacha Lamaisa, how do we paskin? So the truth is, we do paskin that in general, a coin Gadol can become a coin Gadol one of two ways, right? Number one, either through anointing oil, which again, what stopped towards the end of the first Beis HaMikdash. There was no anointing oil already in the second Beis HaMikdash. So already, already before the end of the first, it was already done. Or so a coin Gadol can be anointed with oil or Miruba begad, which means if you're a Kohen and you are chosen for the position, you put on the clothing of the Kohen Gadol and that vests you with the responsibilities of the office. But we do pass in according to the first part of the Mishnah, namely that if you are Miruba begadim and not anointed with oil, you do not bring the par haba akol hamisos. That if you're the Kohen Gadol and you made a mistake and you said something that is Asr is mutter and the Isr is a chiv kares, you do not bring this unique type of carbon. In terms of the second part of the Mishnah Rabosai, we paskin like it, but we also don't paskin like it. We paskin like it in that halacha lamaisa, only the active coin Gadol brings, brings the par yom kipurim and the asira seifa, but we also paskin like Rav Yossi in the Mishnah, namely that the skan, after he served in the role as the coin Gadol, he does not go back to being a coin hediot. He kind of remains in Kohanic limbo, right? He doesn't go back to being a coin hediot because he can't. He can't. After, after you served as the coin Gadol, to go back to a regular position, you can't do. He also can't remain coin Gadol. Why not? Why not? Only one. Only one. So interestingly enough, once the Skan serves in the capacity as the coin Gadol, he kind of occupies almost like a more, for lack of a better term, He's kind of like the vice president, right? But, but a good vice president. In other words, that, 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 like, that, that, that it's kind of like a ceremonial position, right? In other words, he kind of sits in that position waiting if something happens to the Kohen Gadol, right? If something, if something does end up happening. Oh, Greg, thank you. I think I forgot that last night by my shear. Thank you. So if something does happen to the Kohen Gadol, ultimately, again, he jumps back in. But Lamaisa, until that point in time, he kind of occupies that position, but is not really involved in Kohanic responsibilities. It's quite amazing. Now, I, I take that back. Remember, we saw in Yuma 
not the vice president piece, right? But I take right, but I, I, what I take back is is the is the the scan does have other responsibilities in the base Amikdash as well, non avoda related, non avoda related, right? So, but again, but the point over here is from an avoda perspective, the scan isn't doing anything. Good, says the Mishnah Bosai. No, I thought I said Malim Bakolish for no more reason. I think if I did Malim Bakolish Malim Bakolish for no more reason, that ultimately, if I didn't read it, I'll say again, it's, good. it's, good. it's a good mantra to say in life in general. That ultimately, again, we go up in Kedusha, we don't go down in Kedusha. That's why once the coin Hedyot went ahead and served as the coin Gadol, he does not go back to a regular position. Good? Excellent. Mishnah. Ein bein bamagidola bamakitana. Both said there is no distinction between a bamagidola bamakitana. Bamagidola is a large communal is a large communal altar. Bamakitana is a private communal altar. And I both say so just, just to highlight this over here, in in from from a from a sacrificial perspective, from, from an altar perspective, there are three different states, right? There is a state of what we'll call the Mishkan. And when we talk about the Mishkan, there was the Mishkan in the Midbar, and there was the Mishkan in Shiloh, right? The Mishkan in the Midbar, Mishkan and Shiloh are considered to be permanent places of worship. And then remember, the Mishkan was in a whole bunch of other places as well. So Rashi, for example, points out over here, for example, in Nov or in Givon, where the, where the, where the Mishkan was situated for shorter periods of time. When the Mishkan was situated in a place for a shorter period of time, the Bama has the status of what's called a Bama Gidola, which means it is a communal, a communal offering place, a communal offering place, right? However, when the Mishkan is not in a permanent place, so then often it's not there. Well, so let's see. So therefore, the Mishnah says as follows: In being Bama Gidola, Bama Kitana, in general, there is no distinction between a Bama Gidola, which again is the large centralized altar, but talking about periods of time where there is a Mishkan. But the Mishkan is not in a set place versus a Bamakitana, Ella, Psachim, except for the offering of a carbon Pesach. Zeaklal, Kolshuhu Nidar Vinidav Karabama, Vikosha Eno Lonidav Alonidav Eno Karabama. Here's the rule. Anything on both sides that is a vow, right, a nadar or a nadava, a voluntary offering, can be offered up on a Bamakitana. Right? On a private Bama. And anything that is not a nether or a nadava cannot be offered up on a private bama. So, both say, so just to give you the idea, when there was a Mishkan, and when there was a base Hamikdash, and when the Mishkan was situated, let's say, for example, in Shiloh, 369 years, no private altars. No private altars. Every other time, right, when, the base, when the Mishkan is moving around, and we'll discuss what happens after the destruction of the base Hamikdash, you could have a Bamakitana, you could have a private altar. So essentially, when the Mishkan is not fixed in a location for a long period of time, you could use private altars. You could use a Bamakitana. So I will say, so what the Mishkan now is telling me is, what's the difference between sacrificial offering on a Bamakitola versus a Bamakitana? To which the Mishkan is very simple. On a Bamakitana, you can never offer up obligatory offerings. Right? Bamakitana is good. For Nidarim and Nidavo. So in your private backyard, Bama, you could go ahead and offer up voluntary offerings, but you cannot offer up anything obligatory. Says the Gemara, one second, Pesachim is Sulo. That's it. That's the only difference between Obama Gidol and Obama Kitana is carbon Pesach. That was the Twitch Gemara says, no. Ema Ke'im Pesachim. No, no, no. Pesach is an example. I will say, what's unique about Pesach? It's time bound and it's obligatory. Time-bound and obligatory. So you cannot offer up any time-bound obligatory offerings on a private altar. So Mani Reb Shimini, who's even this Reb Shimini, the Sanya, Reb Shimini Omer, Aftzibur lohekrivu ala psachim v'chobos shakavu lahem zman. Avachobos she'in kavu lahem zman, hacha v'hacha lo karav. So Shudra Basar Reb Shimini says, in general, even when, the, even when the Mishkan was not centralized or was not fixed to a location, and therefore, even the, Mishk, even, the, even the altar in the Mishkan has the status of a Bama Gidola, even then, on that altar, they only offered up obligatory offerings with a fixed time. But they didn't even offer up obligatory <laughs> offerings that didn't have a fixed time on the Bama Gidola. Allah has come and come all the more so on the Bama Kitana. So, we'll say, so just to clarify this, 
Essentially, it turns out that you have three different types of altars. What do I mean? So number one is paradigmatic altar. What's paradigmatic altar? We'll call it for our purposes, Mizbeach. And when is there a Mizbeach? When is there a Mizbeach? When the Mishkan is fixed in place or in the Beis HaMikdash. So again, we know historically that's three times. Mishkan in the Midbar, in the desert, right? Mishkan in Shiloh, 369 years, and Beis HaMikdash. That's when you have a Mizbeach. What can you do when you have a Mizbeach? What are you allowed to do? Right? You can offer up a Mizbeach. Where else can you offer up? Nowhere else. Nowhere else. And what can you offer up on a Mizbeach? What can you offer up on a Mizbeach? Anything you want. Anything, I mean, that's when I say anything you want. In other words, you know, not anything. Right, right, you can offer up Kabbalahs, Kabbalahs of any kind. That's stage one. Stage two is what's called when there's a Bama Gidola. What's a Bama Gidola? Bama Gidola is a large centralized altar. When did you have a Bama Gidola? Both say when? So pretty much any time when there's a Mishkan, but the Mishkan is not fixed in place. Nov, Givon, all the various places that the Mishkan traveled to that it was only for a couple of years here and there. That's a Bama Gidola. When there is a Bama Gidola, right, and not a Mizbeach, Bama Gidola, not a Mizbeach, again, just be clear on the definitions, right? Mizbeach only is, is, again, I want to point out, it's the same altar, just to be clear. It's the same altar, but the identity of the altar is impacted by what's happening in the structure. When the structure is fixed, Mishkan in the desert, Mishkan in Shiloh, Beis HaMikdash, it's called the Mizbeach, all sacrificial service can only happen there. When the Mishkan is moving around, that altar in the Mishkan takes on the identity of a Bama Gidola. When there's a Bama Gidola, interestingly enough, Bama Kitana may also be permitted. So where lies there between the two? Bama Gidola only has time-bound obligatory offerings. Time-bound obligatory offerings. What can you do on your Bama Kitana? Nidarim and Nidaros. Beautiful. But say, based on this, now we come to the Mishnah. This is incredible, incredible, incredible sugya. So remember again, now you understand why, why does the Mishnah say, why are we contrasting Shiloh to Yerushalayim? Because remember again, how long is the Mishkan in Shiloh? 369. What's unique about Shiloh? So Shiloh, like the Beis HaMikdash, represents a place of permanence, right? Therefore, again, the Mizbeach has the identity of a... Well, I said it already. Of a Mizbeach, right? It's not a Bamagidol, it's a Mizbeach. So therefore, Shiloh and the Beis HaMikdash are very comparable circumstances. So watch this. So where in lies we've seen Shiloh and the Beis HaMikdash? Ela, Shebeshiloh ochlen kachim kalim. In Shiloh, we could eat kachim kalim, umaiser sheni bechalaroa. So we'll say in Shiloh, you could eat kachim kalim, which represent karbanos of lower sanctity, and maiser sheni, Anywhere from where you can see Shiloh, I've spoken this before. If you've ever had the schos to be at Shiloh, right, to be in Shiloh, you'll notice something amazing. The makom of the Mishkan, interestingly enough, is actually a hilltop. It's actually a hilltop. That's, that's how it is, right? You walk from the flatter part of Shiloh and you walk pretty much to the edge of a mountain. That's where the Mishkan was situated. But amazingly enough, all around that mountain are what? Even higher mountains, right? So the Mishnah says over here, you could sit anywhere on those surrounding mountains. And as long as you could see Shiloh, you could eat Kadshim Kalim and Maiser Sheni as long as you could see Shiloh. In Yerushalayim, however, in order to eat by the Beis in order to eat Kadshim Kalim, you had to be within the wall of Yerushalayim. Within the wall of Yerushalayim. Vikan Vikan, I both say both by Shiloh and the Beis HaMikdosh, Ultimately, both by the Mikdash as well as by Shiloh, Kadshe Kadoshim, which are Karbanos of higher sanctity, can only be consumed within the curtains. Now, both say, for the, for the curtains means within the walls, right? For the base of Mikdash, I mean for within the walls of the Azara. For the Mishkan, I mean also within the walls of the structure. This is incredible. Kedushas Shiloh, Yesh Achara Heter. Wow, now we're getting into a side. What happens when Shiloh was destroyed? Right? What happens when Shiloh was destroyed? So Yesh Achara Heter. Heter means personal bamos become permitted in the aftermath of Shiloh. Right? So once the Mishkan is no longer situated in Shiloh, once the Mishkan in Shiloh is destroyed, because remember again, say, 
the Mishkan and when they when they settled in Shiloh, they built stone walls along the Mishkan. Remember again, that wasn't the Mishkan of the Midbar. Remember the Mishkan of the Midbar. What, what was it made of? What was it made of? What were the walls made of? Planks, right? There were planks, right? Planks of wood, interlocking planks into silver sockets and curtains. But the whole thing was a mobile structure in Shiloh. And you can see, by the way, still today, if you go to Shiloh, you can see, you can see the, 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 the leftover parts of the walls. There were stone walls. When the Mishkan in Shiloh was destroyed, there is a heter bamos afterwards. The Kalish was permitted to once again resume using personal altars. But once the base of Mikdash is rebuilt, what, sorry, once the base of Mikdash was built, even after it was subsequently destroyed, you are not allowed to go back to using personal bamos. Right? I can't go ahead and use personal altars in the aftermath of the Beis HaMikdash. So let's analyze. We'll say, here we go. Am Rabbi Yitzchak. Rabbi Yitzchak says, Shamati shemakrivin bebeis chonyo I heard that you're allowed to go ahead and offer up karbanos in the, in the temple of chonyo presently. We'll say, what's the temple of chonyo? Take a look at Rashi. Beis chonyo. Mizbeach chonyo benosho shivan atzadik. Bona bam mitzrayim shem shemayim. We'll say, listen to this. This is a wild story. Mesechus menachas. The Gemara discusses Shimon HaTzadik. There's actually two versions of the story. Shimon HaTzadik. This is great. Shimon HaTzadik. Mishiyore Knesset HaTzadol. Anshikinez, right? The last member of the Anshikinez Gadol who was the Kohen Gadol. He appointed his son, Chonyo, as Kohen Gadol. Right? He appointed him as Kohen Gadol. Shimon HaTzadik had an older son who got very jealous of his brother and essentially set him up. The story is an interesting one, but not for today. He set Chonyo up. Right, as a result, as a result, ultimately of the setup, Chanyo had to flee. He fled to Alexandria, and it is there that he went ahead and he set up a temple. Now, I both say, there's a machlokas. Did he set up a temple for Avodah Zorah, or did he set up a temple for Avodah Hashem? Now, what we know is that he's offering up Karbanos over there. So, if it was a house for Avodah Zorah, okay, it makes a lot of sense. How could you say that he's offering up a house of HaKadosh Baruch Hu if he's offering up Karbanos in Alexandria? The simple answer is he wasn't offering up Karbanos for Jews. He was offering up Karbanos for Gentiles, which technically can be done outside of the Beis HaMikdash as well. In any event, you're going to see why the Zippar of Yitzchak says, I heard that even today they offer up Karbanos in the Temple of Chonyo. So this is two things. Kasavar, Beis Chonyo, Lab Beis Avodazar. So first of all, that number one, it tells us that in the house of Chanyo, right, was not a house of idolatry, right? It wasn't, a, it wasn't an idolatrous temple. And furthermore, the Kasavar, Kedusha Rishona Kitshala Shaita, the low Kitshala Asid Lava. Wow. But say, now we come to a dramatic phrase. The concept is as follows Do we say that the Kedusha of the Beis Hamikdash is eternal or not? Now, both say, if you say it's eternal, that means, that means the Makom, the place, the, the Harabayis, has eternal Kiddusha. Now what that means is two things. Number one, it means you can't offer Karbanos anywhere else, even in the absence of the Beis HaMikdash. You're going to see, by the way, but you know what else it does mean? You know what else it does mean? If the Kiddusha of the Makkah HaMikdash is, is eternally sanctified, then what? You can offer Karbanos there, even in the absence of the Mikdash. We'll see that in the Rabbam in just a little bit. In any event, the point that Rabbi Yitzchak is saying over here, I heard that today... They're offering Karbanos in the temple of Chanyon, Alexandria. So number one, it tells me that temple was not an idolatrous temple. And number two, it tells me that the Kiddusha of the Beis HaMikdash is not eternal. It only exists when the Beis HaMikdash stands. But once the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, there is no longer Kiddusha HaMikdash. Which means, which means what I was saying, you could build a Bama Kitana. And where can you build a Bama Kitana personal altar? Where can you build it? Anywhere you want. Anywhere you want. So the Gemara says, The Pasuk says now, the Gemara is quoting, you have not come to the Menucha and the Nachala. Right? The Pasuk in Devarim. So the Gemara says, Menucha zu Shiloh. Menucha refers to Shiloh. Nachala zu Yerushalayim. And what do you see? Makish Nachala le Menucha. The Torah compares the Mikdash to Shiloh. Ma Menucha yesh achara heter. Just like after Shiloh was destroyed, you were permitted to go ahead and utilize a Bamakitana personal altar, Af Yesh Achara Heter. So too in the aftermath of the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, there is also once again a heter to go ahead and use a Bamakitana. Rabbi say this becomes known as the concept 
of Kiddusha Rishona, Kiddusha Rishona, Kitsha Lashaita, Velo Kitsha Lashid Lavo. The Kiddusha of the first Beis HaMikdash was only sanctified, was only present as long as the Beis HaMikdash stood, but once it was destroyed, the Kiddusha of Harabayis is no longer there, which means now you could build a Bama wherever you want. Amrulay, Amrulay, so they said to Rabbi Yosef, one second, or Yitzchak, I should say, I'm sorry, said to Rabbi Yitzchak, Amrulay, Amrit, did you say this? Did you really say this? <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Amarava, Helokim, Amra, Vigamina Lemine. What are you talking about? You said it and I learned it from you. What, what, what are you talking about? Why are you backtracking it now? Why are you walking it back? So, Cave, so the Gemara said, Mishum Kashi de Rav Mari. Because ultimately, again, Rav Mari posed the contradiction or question. What did Rav Mari say? The most of Rav Mari, Rav Mari said, Kiddushas Shiloh, Yesh Achara Heter, the Kiddushav Shiloh, right, has, is permitted afterwards. Which Rabbosai means, after Shiloh is destroyed, right, the Kiddushah is no longer there, and therefore personal bombs become permitted. Kiddushas Yerushalayim, Ein Achara Heter. However, once the Harabayis was sanctified, by the building of the first base HaMikdash, that Kiddusha is residual. And therefore, again, the Kiddusha remains even if the structure is not there. And therefore, Halacha Lamaisa, you cannot build private Bamos in the aftermath of the destruction of the base HaMikdash. Va'od, tonight, furthermore, we learned, Mishabal Yerushalayim Nesra Bamos. Once the base HaMikdash was built, Bamos, personal altars, became prohibited. And ultimately, again, it never again becomes permitted. Right? Once the Beis HaMikdash is built, Bamos, personal altars, become prohibited forever. Forever. So the Gemara said, so what do you see from here? Tanaihi. Ultimately, it's a machlokes Tanaim. This becomes a raging debate. And the debate is, Kiddusha, do we say Kiddusha, Roshan Kiddusha Shniya? Do we say Kiddusha Lashaita or Kiddusha Lashad Lavo? How do we look at the Kiddusha of the Beis Hamikdash? Is the Kiddusha of the Beis Hamikdash only present when the temple stands? Or do we say, no, the Makom, the Makom, the Harabayis is Kadosh, and that Kiddusha remains for all eternity? And I both say, there are three ramifications. Ramification number one is can you go up to the site? Right, which Gemara is not discussing, but we understand it. Right, right. Ramification number two is: Can you build personal altars? And ramification number three is: Are you allowed to offer up kabbalos on the site of the Harabayis in the absence of the Beis Hamikdash? So we'll say here we go. So the Gemara says: In reality, it's machlokes tanon. Here we go. The Sanya Am Rabbi Eliezer says: Shamati kishayubon in heichal. Both this is fascinating. I heard. That when they were building, this is the second base Hamikdash. When they were building the second base Hamikdash, osin kilayim laheichal, o kilayim lazara, they made curtains for the heichal and curtains for the walls of the azara. In other words, what they did was when they were building the the, the, the second base Hamikdash and they were building the walls, they first put up curtains where the walls were going to be constructed. So remember again, there are two sets of walls you have to build. There are outer walls, what we'll call the walls of the Azara, the walls of the courtyard. And then there are the walls of the Heichal, right? Remember again, we'll say, what does the Heichal refer to? The Heichal refers to the structure, which was made up of two parts, really the Ulam and the Heichal, right? The Ulam was like a rectangular um, entryway. And then there was the Heichal, which was a larger rectangle. In the Heichal, you have again, in Mizbeach HaKitores, the Menorah, the Kodesh HaKadoshim. So Rabbi Eliezer says like this, when they were building the Heichal, they made curtains, which showed where the walls were going to go. Interesting, for the walls of the Heichal, the artisans built it standing on the outside. In other words, so they built the walls standing by where the exterior of the walls would be. But from the Azara, from the courtyard walls, they built it from inside the courtyard. So we'll say, interestingly enough, why did they build the Heichal walls standing on the outside? So that they wouldn't stand in the area that was actually the Heichal. What do you see from there? What do you see from there? That the Makom preserves its Kiddusha even in the absence of structure. Remember again, there's no, there's no, there's no structure. 
the base, first base Hamikdash was destroyed. They're rebuilding the second base Hamikdash. But you see that they were careful where they stood when building the walls of the Heichal because the Makom, the Harabayis, retains its Kedushas Mikdash even in the absence of the structure itself. Incredible. Rabbi Yeshua. Rabbi Yeshua says, really Rabbi Yeshua says, Rabbi Yeshua says, all right, Shlai Kansu Abarna Safai. Rabbi Yeshua says, Shamati Shemakrivin, Afapi She'in Bayis. Wow. Rabbi Yeshua says, I heard that you could offer up Karbanas today even though there's no Beis HaMikdash. No Beis HaMikdash. And I also heard, and I also heard, Ochlin Katshe Katshe Kadoshim, Afapi She'in Kelaim. I also that you could eat kachi kadoshim even though there are no walls, there are no curtains. Kachim kalamai sheni afapi shein choma mipnei shekedusha rishona kitshel shaita vikitshel asid lavo. Why? Because ultimately, again, says Rabbi Yoshua, why can you offer up karbanos? Why can you eat kachi kadoshim? Kachim kalamai. Why? Because the original kedusha of the mikdash remains intact. So Rabbi said, this is incredible. So it turns out that according to Rabbi Yoshua. The original Kiddusha, Kiddusha Rishona, when we built, when Shlomelech built the first base Hamikdash, that endowed the spot with an irrevocable Kiddusha. And that Kiddusha remains even if the structure of the base Hamikdash is destroyed. And therefore, Rabbi Yitzchak says, Harabayez still has Kiddusha's Hamikdash. And because of that, you could offer up Karbanos there if you want. You could eat kabanos there if you want. Now, perhaps you have to know exactly where you're eating it or where you're offering it. But Lamaisa, you could offer it on the spot. Now, I will say, here's what's interesting. The way this price is set up, it's making it sound like there's a machlokis Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yitzchak, to which the Gemara says, Michlal, Rabbi Eliezer, Savar, Lo Kitsha, Lo Asid Lavo. So it sounds like Rabbi Eliezer is saying that the Kedusha is not eternal. Amri Ravina Ravashi, no, we might. Dilma Dukuli Amla. So we'll say it doesn't sound right because remember again, Rabbi Eliezer himself is saying that when they were building the second base Hamikdash, where did the craftsmen stand when they were building the walls of the Heichal? Where did they stand? Outside of the walls, which also makes it sound like what the kedusha is there even without the structure. To which the Gemara says, "You're right." Right, say it's possible. It's possible that maybe the halacha is everyone agrees that as soon as we built the first base hamikdash that endowed the harabayis with an irrevocable holiness, that kedusha stems eternal even in the absence of an actual structure. Umar Amar. Umar Kamar. So we'll say, interestingly enough, Rabbi Yitzchak, I'm sorry, I should say, Rabbi Yoshua, Rabbi Yoshua and Rabbi Yoshua and Rabbi Eliezer are not arguing. Rather, I will say, what's happening over here? They're just both saying what they heard. In other words, the Brisa is recording two statements. Yeah, I will say, as Jews, we are conditioned to think that when two people are talking, what are they doing? They're arguing, right? Sometimes they're not arguing. Sometimes they're both just relaying what they heard. So it could very well be that neither Rabbi Eliezer nor Rabbi Yoshua are arguing. They're both relaying what they heard. And they both happen to be saying the same thing, which is what? Kiddusha Rishona, Kiddusha Lashaita, the Kiddusha Asad Lavo. To which the Gemara says, If that's the case, according to Elizabeth, listen to this. Why do they have to? put up the curtains, right? Why was that necessary? Just wait until the walls are up, to which the Gemara says, let's new Alma, for Sneas. In other words, saying, part of the idea in the Beis HaMikdash, why didn't the Beis HaMikdash at all? Just do service out in the open. There's a concept of Sneas. There's a concept of modesty when it comes to religious <clears throat> service. So because of that, before the walls were constructed, the curtains provided for that sense of modesty in spiritual service. Which was an incredible yisod that a person is supposed to be modest in their spiritual endeavors, right? Sneas is not just about clothing. Sneas, more importantly, is about behavior, right? How I conduct myself. See, in the realm of spiritual behavior, a person should be modest in their spiritual in their spiritual activities. Elo, kihani tanoi. Rabbi Gemara says, no, no, no. It is machlokia. So it's possible that both Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yeshua both agree that Kedusha Rishon Kitsch Lashayta Vikitsch Lashid Lavo, right, as evidenced by their statements. But this is a Machlokes Tanam. I'll tell you, I know this. Tisanyo, Amr Bishwa, Rabbi Yossi, Lama, Anu Chacham Mes Elu. So, listen to this. 
Why did the Chachamim go ahead? And we're switching gears for just a moment. Bate Arechoma. We know that homes in a walled city are governed by a totally different set of real estate laws. Normally, what's the halacha? Normally, if you sell real estate, there's a whole process for how you could go back and buy back or redeem that real estate. And even if you don't buy back or redeem it, what happens during Yovel? What happens during Yovel? It comes back to you, right? Home sales in walled cities are different. The way it works in walled cities is that if you sell a piece of property in a walled city, you have one year to redeem it. If you redeem it, fantastic. If not, you lose it forever. So the Gemara says as follows. The father, listen to this. Kisha'alu b'nei Agola, when the Jews came back with Ezra. So remember again, this is the group that's coming back to build the second base of Mikdash. Umatsu Elu, they found these walled cities, the Kidshun, and they sanctified them. But the other cities lost their designation as walled cities, ultimately, again, when, when the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. Okay, so the Gemara says, and what happens? What do you see on site? Now, it's interesting. We're linking the sanctification of the walled cities ultimately to the Beis HaMikdash. What you see from this Braise is, when the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, kind of all Kedusha left. All Kedusha left. When this group comes back with Ezra, they begin to re-sanctify walled cities. And I will say, by the way, remember, as we're seeing, because we're learning Mesechus Megillah, the ramification of a walled city is not just for real estate purchases. It has other, it has other issues as well, namely Mikra Megillah. When they came back, they rededicated or they re-sanctified these walled cities. So what do you see from here? You see from here that when the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, all the associated sanctity ceased. Says the Gemara, I'm Rabbi Shalom, Rabbi Yosei, Elu Bilvatah, you one second. We're going to say now, the Pasuk counts, interestingly enough, the Pasuk counts nine cities, right, that they sanctified. So the Gemara says, are there, were there only nine cities? So the Gemara says, Elu Shishim Ir Argov. There were 60 cities. Oksev, Kol Eila Arem Betsuros Choma Gavoa. Why did the Chachamim only mention these particular few cities that they resanctified? Because when the Bnei Agola came back, they found these cities and they consecrated them. Kidshum, what does it mean they consecrated them? So the Gemara says, So the Gemara says, I will say, so you're right. It doesn't have to mean that they found one. It says Kitchell, that they sanctified it. It just means that they re-identified the cities. It doesn't have to mean that they actually re-consecrated anything. Rather, it means ultimately, again, they re-identified. Below Elu Bilbad, So I will say, what it means is like this. When they came back, when these Jews came back with Ezra, they had the task of re-identifying walled cities, right? They had this task. They weren't sanctifying anything because the sanctification remained. Had another sanctification remained because any city that had a wall from the time of Yahushua Benun ultimately is considered to be a walled city. Mipnei, Shekidusha, Rishona, Kidsha, Lashaita, Vikidsha, Laasid Labo. So we'll say once again, what we're seeing is when they came back with Ezra, there was no need to reconsecrate or rededicate anything. Why? Because the consecrations and the dedications from the times of the first base Hamikdash remain intact. So the Gemara says, Kashya, did Rabbi Shlomo, did Rabbi Shlomo. But here we have a contradiction because we just said before Rabbi Shlomo holds that Kiddusha Rishona, lo Kidsha. Or I should say, Kidsha Lashaita, but lo Kidsha Lasid Lavo. It's not eternal. Now we're saying it is eternal. To which the Gemara says, you're right. There are two Tanoim. Good, it's Machlok, is what Rabbi Shmuel said. Divas, and other possibilities. Har Rabbi Lazar Bayosi, Amra. Designer Rabbi Lazar Bayosi, Amra. Amar, Asher Lo Choma, Afa Pisha in Lo Achshav, Vahayu Lo Kodem. Ultimately, again, even though it didn't have a wall originally, but it has one now, it could still be called a walled city. So Rabbi said, leaving aside walled cities for just a moment. So, how do we pass him? How do we pass? What's well, the end of this sugya? And this, by the way, I want to point out, this sugya comes up a number of different times in Shas about kedusha rishona kedusha l'shaita v'kedusha l'aselava or not. Do we say that the kedusha established by the first base Hamikdash 
is eternal or no? It only existed again as long as the Beis Hamikdash was there. So both sides, but what that again? So what that three ramifications? Number one, when the Beis Hamikdash is destroyed. By the way, the same machlokas applies to the second Beis Hamikdash as well. Obviously, if you hold that the sanctity of the first Mikdash is eternal, of course that goes into the second Beis Hamikdash and even goes past that. So remember, if you hold the sanctity of the Mikdash is eternal, what that means is. Even if the structure does not stand, even when space of is destroyed, you cannot build personal bamos, right? Because you can't offer up karbanos anywhere other than the Makdash. But it would open the possibility of offering up karbanos on the Harabayas, even in the absence of the base Hamikdash. So how does the Rambam paskin? So the Rambam says, first of all, two Rambams I'll bring to your attention. The Rambam says, the Rambam says, this is in Hilchos Beis HaBechira, Perak Aleph Halacha Gimel, Kevin Shinivna HaMikdash Bishayim Nesru Kalam Akomos Livnos Boen Bayis Hashem Lakriba and Karban. So I'll say, ultimately, the first thing the Rambam Paskins is, once the Beis HaMikdash is built, all Bamos become Aser forever. Which tells you that how does the Rambam Paskin? Kedusha Rishona Kitsha Lashaita Vikitsha Asid Lavo. The Kedusha of the Harabayas is eternal, and once the Beis HaMikdash is built, Bamos become Asr forever. And therefore, therefore, the Rambam says, Rambam said, this is incredible. Therefore, Rambam says, in Hilchos Beis HaBechira, Perek Vav Halacha Tesvav, listen to this. Lefichach, Makrivin HaKarbanos Kulon, Afa Pisha'in Sham Bayis Banui. Therefore, the Rambam says, Halacha Lemaisa, you could offer up Karbanos and Harabayas today. There is no reason we can't offer up Karbanos on a Harabayis today. In other words, ignoring geopolitical concerns, right? But Halacha Lamaisa, Rambam Paskins, you could offer up Karbanos on a Harabayis today because you could offer up Karbanos in the absence of the Beis HaMikdash. The Makom, right? The Harabayis itself is vested with Kedusha Samikdash, with Beis HaMikdash sanctity, and therefore you could offer up Karbanos today. So you, you could eat Kachay Kadoshim, you could eat Kachim Kalim, Maiser Sheni, why he says Shakidusha Rishona Kidsha Lashaita Vikidsha Laasid Lavo. So I will say this is the Psak of the Rambam. Kidusha Rishona, the original sanctity of the first base Hamikdash, is eternal and applies to this very day. Therefore, according to the Rambam, Bamos are Asr forever. You can never build another person. Obama, you could offer up Karbanos ultimately again on the Harabais. And if Rabo said, therefore, if one does go up on the Harabais, one has to be very careful about where they go. Where they go. I have the incredible skills to go up on Harabais. Not this last trip, but my previous trip to Eretz Yisrael. It's an awesome and incredible and overwhelming experience. But again, one has to go ahead and, of course, go to the mikvah. And even then, you're not allowed to walk on the areas, on the areas that are the act that were the actual mikdash, right? You could only walk because remember, even if you go to the mikvah, that's very nice. What are you still missing? What are you still missing? Paraduma, right? So remember again, I can go to the mikvah that works for certain levels of tumah, but does not work for tumas meis. So I'm still, I still have tumah, I'm still tummy tumas meis. Walking into the mikdash in a state of tumas meis is a chiyav misa. So at most, you can only walk around the perimeter of what was the. You can't walk in to what is the actual Azara, what is the actual Makom HaMikdash. Rabbi I'll tell you something amazing. Then we have to go on. Based on this Rambam, based on this Rambam, there are many of the briskers who were makbid to leave Yerushalayim for Pesach. They would not spend Pesach in Yerushalayim. Why not? Because Rabbi according to the Rambam, technically speaking, if you're in Yerushalayim for Pesach, what's the halacha? What's the halacha? You might be, you might have a chi of karma Pesach. It's wild. Even without the base HaMikdash. So I will say, it's not, it's not a normally held shita, because most understand that Rambam is saying, you could offer up karbanos, not saying what? Not saying what? You're obligated. The obligation to bring karbanos is only when there is a base HaMikdash. The license to bring karbanos is even when, is even if there is no base HaMikdash. But again, some of the briskers are bit like this, that they would dafka leave Yerushalayim before Erev Pesach, before the 14th. Because they felt that if they were in Yerushalayim during, on the 14th of Nisan, they would generate an obligation to bring the Quran Pesach. And of course, they were not able to honor that obligation. So, incredible. Here we go. Now we begin the incredible sugya of the Agarata on the Megillah. Agarata on the Megillah. So, here we go. Vahi bimeach hashvir. So, this is going to be the next couple of days. 
absolutely no idea how we're going to get through all of this. All right, very good. Maybe we'll do on Friday, maybe we'll, instead of doing a special share, we'll actually finish up the daf. But okay, we'll see. So it says the Gemara, So we'll say, it was in the days of Achashverosh. So listen to this. We have a Mesorah. What's our Mesorah? Anytime you see the word Vayihi, Vayihi always means something terrible is about to occur. Something terrible is about to occur. So we'll going to give examples of this. It was in the days of Achashverosh, Hava Haman. Haman, Vayihi shoftim, Megillas Rus, was in the days of the judges, Hayarav, there was a famine. Adam Larov, right, this beginning of Bereshus. Man began to, began to populate the earth. Vayar Hashem ki Raba Ra'asa Adam. Man saw, Cheshbarach who saw evil man was. Vayhi mikadem, they journeyed east. Hava Nivna Lanu Ir, the Dor HaFlaga, right, the generation that built the tower. Vahime Amraphel, it was in the days of Amraphel, there was the war of the four kings against the five. Asl Muhammad, there was war. Vahibi Yos, Yoshua, be Yericho. As we just had this post a couple of days ago, Yoshua was in Yericho. That's when the Malach confronted him and said, You are Mavatal, the Tamid, right? The Tamid and Talmud Torah. Vaharba Shalufo Biyado. Vahi Hashem is Yoshua. Right? Hashem was with Yoshua. Vahimalu B'nei Yisrael. That was when they took the spoils of Yericho. Ochan took the spoils of Yericho, which was Aser. Vahi Ish Echad Minarama Saim. There was a man from Ramasayim. Both said, This is Elkanah, the father of Shmuel. Ki Eschano Ahei Vashem Segal Shachma. Hannah was barren. So we'll say, so again, you see the theme. Shmuel got old. His sons did not follow in his ways. David was successful. David despised David. sat in his home. So we'll say, the point over here is, every single time you see the word Vayihi, what do you see? Something bad is happening afterwards. That's the Masora. Wherever you see Vayihi, that's a foreshadow for something bad. So the Gemara says, one second, is that true? Vaksi, Vahibayamashmini, right? It was on the eighth day of the inauguration of the Mishkan. Vitanya Osa Yom Right? On the day that the Mishkan was inaugurated, right? There was such a simcha. A simcha that had not been seen since the time of creation. After all, ksiv vayibayam ashmini, uksiv hasam vayerev vayivoker yom echad. So we'll say the Gemara says, yeah, there was simcha, but what? Hashachav nadav and avil. Remember again, it's true there was incredible simcha on that day, but there was also the the catastrophic, the tragic death of nadav and avil. Vaksiv vayibashmonim vaarbame oshana. Right, it says it was right. To which the Gemara then lists off a series of examples of where Vayhi is good. Right, Vayhi is good. Both say the best example. Precious. Right, you see, Vayhi is great. All seven days, right? Six days, right? Vayhi is great. So I'll say you're right. You're right. The truth is, Vayihi goes both ways. Sometimes Vayihi could foreshadow something terrible. Sometimes it could foreshadow, foreshadow something beautiful. Whenever you see Vayihi Bimei, always foreshadows something terrible. Something terrible. And he gives five examples. Chamisha vayhi bimei abu. I'll give you five examples of vayhi bimei. Vayhi bimei achashverosh. Vayhi, right, we'll say again, Haman. Vayhi bimei shot ashoftim, famine. Vayhi bimei amrafel, war. Vayhi bimei achaz, war. Vayhi bimei yoyokim, war. Right, so we'll say, so again, you see over here, then Allah alamaysa, vayhi, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. Vayhi bimei, always something bad. Well, say, I was thinking about this just for a moment, right? What, what, why? Like, why? What's wrong? Just like on a deeper level, Vahi Bimei, which if you think about it, sounds like such an innocuous phrase. Such an innocuous phrase. Why does Vahi Bimei always foreshadow? Why that formulation? So let's say, if you think about it, we just had this in yesterday's daf. The Lashon of Vahi, or right, Vahayu. Vahi represents what? Represents what? 
being rooted in the present. Right? Bahav Yasan Yehu. So Vayhi means being rooted in the present. Right? Some, something is a certain way. Vayhi, so sometimes being rooted in the present could be good and could be not so good. Right? It goes either way. Think about this for just a moment, right? Vayehi, sometimes being, just think about it in one's life, being rooted in your present could be good because sometimes it allows a person to experience the moment. Being rooted in the present, however, sometimes can be detrimental because a person can't see a greater future in front of them. So the Gemara says, Vayehi, being rooted in the present, sometimes is good, sometimes is not good. Sometimes allows you to maximize the moments of life, maximize the experiences of life, but sometimes also prevents you from seeing that what is now need not be what is in the future. So it goes both ways. But Vayihi Bimei is always terrible. Because also on a hashkafic level, what's Vayihi Bimei? Vayihi Bimei is being fundamentally, totally, and wholly rooted in your present to the exclusion of any thought about your future. And that, says the Gemara, is always Terrible. What does it mean? There are some people who assume totally and wholly that what I am is what I will always be. This is who I am. This is how I behave. This is how I act. This is the nature of my relationships. That's a Vayihi Bimei personality. What is, is. That's it. This is what my life is and it will never change. The Gemara says, that is terrible. And it only foreshadows Terrible things. To be somewhat rooted in your present, vayihi, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Being rooted in your present is powerful. It allows you to maximize your circumstances. It allows you to live the moment. Sometimes it's to the exclusion of the future. That's not good. But vayihi may foreshadows or represents a personality and identity that is totally and wholly anchored in the present to the exclusion of any thought about the future, to the exclusion of any thoughts of growth, to the exclusion of any thoughts of, of personalistic evolution, of the ability to become better, to become different, to become more whole, the inability to think about relationships outside of the sphere of what they are right now, the Gemara says, that's always terrible. And so we know Vayihi on a scriptural sense, and now we understand Vayihi Bimei ultimately again on a personalistic level as well. The Gemara goes by there. So the Gemara says, I'm Rabbi Levi, Davar Zemasaras Biyadeinu, Meavaseinu, Amot Zviyamatsya Achim Havu. Amots and Amatsya were brothers. Shabbos say, who were Amots and Amatsya? So of course we never heard of them. They're in Navi. Right? So the Gemara says, so listen to this. Amots and Amatsya, Rashi's on both sides over here. This is Rashi on the right-hand column, about seven lines up from the bottom. Amots and Amatsya, Amots, Avav Shal Yeshaya. Right? So Amots is Yeshaya Hanavi's father. And Amatsya was one of the kings of Yehuda. Right, so Amos and Amatsya, Misra, they were brothers. So I said, why does this matter? Listen to this. This is incredible. Any kala, any, any woman who is modest in her father-in-law's home, will be privileged to have kings and prophets descend from her. From where do we know this? Rabbi said, it is incredible. Mitamar. From the episode with Tamar. What happened with Tamar? Dixiv. Yehuda saw his daughter-in-law. He saw his daughter-in-law. He saw, right, he saw Tamar. And he thought that she was a Zona. Right. Yehuda saw and, she, and he thought she was a Zona. Because she covered her face. What does that mean? Because she covered her face, Yehuda thought she was a Zona. But because she was so modest in her father-in-law's home, amazingly enough, her father, father-in-law didn't even fully recognize her. And therefore, again, you know, there's this crazy story where she dresses up as a harlot. She becomes pregnant by Yehuda. And remember, again, she is privileged to have descent from her kings and prophets. Malochim David. So how does she, so remember again, Tamar is the mother of kings. Because remember, Shevet Yehuda, she is the altar baba, right? She's the great, great grandmother of David Amalach. So that's kings. And furthermore, again, remember, brothers. Now remember again, Amos is a king. We just said before, Amos' brother is who? Amatsya. Amatsya. Amatsya was the father of who? Yeshaya. Which means that what? That Yeshaya was also a descendant of 
Tamar. So what do you see from here? Kings and prophets descend from Tamar. So the Gemara says something amazing that in the schos of Tamar's snius, right, which is so strange considering like the whole story, but in the merit, in the merit of her modesty, she merits to have kings and prophets descend from her. Incredible. We'll have to stop over here for today. We will start tomorrow morning at 5.45 again. We'll catch up. Beautiful, beautiful. Next couple of days, overwhelming and amazing. All the Agarata from the Megillah, it's going to be incredible. Shkach, everyone. I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk fast. I'm going to talk fast.